Well, good evening. Welcome to those of you who are here in person. Glad to have those of you who are watching uh, online, whether you're there on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, uh, any one of those platforms, welcome there. Uh, be sure, if you want to make any comments, you want to share uh, any prayer requests, uh, be sure to go over to Facebook and to do that. That's the place where you'll be able to uh, give us those comments in the live feed. Uh, so uh, you can give them on any of those others, but we'll only get it live in Facebook. And then also, uh, we're on our phone live streaming. Uh, if you need that number, we'll be glad to give that to you. Just call the church office, or you can ask me if you're here in person after the service, and we'll be glad to give that to you. Let me encourage you, too, to get your bulletin. You hopefully pick up a bulletin if you're here in person. Uh, those are readily accessible in the windows, uh, at the doors as you leave. But if you need to at home, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download uh, the worship bulletin uh, for today so, or for this past Sunday and for this week. So be sure to get that done uh, as you follow up on with things that are going on. Uh, in the upcoming uh, short term. Our newsletter will be going out soon and that covers more of the whole month. So uh, that'll be going out soon too and you'll find that under the info tab uh, in a couple of more days uh, also. And then wanna remind you, you can use the children's worship bulletins there as well as the printed versions that are in the windowsill to my right. Share those with other people, uh, share the link with others. Uh, it's just an opportunity that you have to witness to people uh, to get the gospel out there before kids. Uh, and then also under that info tab, you can download tonight's uh, prayer list. Be sure to get that downloaded. We're going to go through the prayer list tonight. Uh, we won't go through all the names as we did last week, uh, but if you have any updates, we certainly want to get those. Uh, and if there's anything we've missed, uh, to do that also. And then don't forget that while you're there on the website at highlandbaptistchurch.com, you can go to the far right-hand side, uh, click the Give Online tab there, and you can do your online giving easy platform to set up there. You'll see that on your screen, so be sure uh, to do your, your giving there. You can do it in person uh, with the envelopes that are in the pews in front of you, as well as dropping those in the plate before you leave. So, Brother Mike, if you'll come. Take your hymnals and let's sing 405. 405, have faith in God. We'll do all four. Have faith in God when your pathway is lonely. He sees and knows all the way you have tried.
Amen. Well, hopefully, if you're at home, you were able to get your prayer list uh, downloaded. Uh, so be sure uh, to get that downloaded if you have not yet. You'll go ahead and have that out. We'll go ahead and start taking a look at that. Just want to share a few updates. Some of them we did get added to the prayer list. Some we did not. And so just want to continue to remind you to pray uh, as we're looking at the Howland Baptist Church family side. Uh, if you want to kind of know how we kind of try to lay it out, we can see it in different colors uh, on, the, on the church computer to kind of know these have been on three weeks or more. So those that are at the bottom are the more recent requests. Those near the top are more of the long-term requests as you look at those lists. And there are some on that bottom part that are long-term also, and they'll just continue to move up the list too as others are removed from that top part. Uh, but just want to start there about David Hess. Want to continue to remember him as he's starting his treatments. Uh, Want to uplift him in your prayers. Uh, remember Jim, his dad, uh, also and then George Duncan, who's been having some uh, medical issues, too. We want to keep him in our prayers. Brenda Griffin and the loss of her brother. Uh, we want to uh, just pray for her and her family. Uh, everything went well when they went down to Texas, and they are back. Uh, but just continue to pray. Uh, she shared with me just a little bit briefly about how God just worked a lot of things out uh, for them uh, while they were there. And so we just praise the Lord for that. It's good to see Brother Jimmy back with us tonight. <laughs> He's been having a little rough bout here the last week or two, and so just want to continue to remember him in prayer. How's your back doing? Doing good? Okay. All right. So we want to remember him. And then also, uh, we were told uh, just to, yesterday, uh, Brother Bobby uh, was able to get up with Brother Jack Doubt. Uh, he has not been for a few weeks, and uh, his sister uh, passed away, Joanne. And so we want to remember, they've already had the, the burial and everything out in Colorado, uh, but uh, just remember him and his family in the loss of his sister and he said he will be back soon He just had been gone uh, to visit some family and then got the news about his sister and had to go uh, there uh, Also, so keep keep him in your prayers as he's been doing all of that um, Just remember those that are in the nursing home uh, Mary Campbell Peggy Eggleston. Does anybody know an update on Peggy? Because last Wednesday night we heard she was in the emergency room, but I've not heard any more from them. Uh, Miss Susie Barton, who's at Morning Point, uh, Miss Birdie Davis, who's at Brookdale, we're working on, uh, if it isn't working, hopefully it's working tonight for her, uh, that we're able to get her video feed through a laptop that she's able to watch the services. Uh, and then also remember Miss Janet Carter, uh, who is still at the NAC rehab. And uh, I know she's uh, hoping to do more of the therapy so she can be able to get back home. Uh, and then over on the friends and family side, uh, do want to continue to remember um, uh, Bill Hargrove, who is Ann Smith's uh, father, Matthew Ratcliffe, who's improving, uh, but is at home recovering from a car accident that happened last November, December, uh, but still has a long ways to go. Uh, Pat was not here. Does anybody know any more about Oliver Nagy? Okay, the, he was improving the last we said, but okay so seems to be doing well and then also remember jake campbell uh, who will have to have multiple surgeries uh, remember these two that are added this week laura Hendricks, uh, who is uh, the daughter of becky moffett um, she's had some medical issues so we want to remember her in prayer and then henry fortner who is the great nephew of terry stone 
uh, who's in Erlanger in NICU uh, on a ventilator. So I want to remember that one in your prayers. And then you'll also notice further up the list on that side, uh, I have my cousin who's listed there uh, who has uh, cancer. Um, her, um, she, because she had cancer, she felt it was important for her kids uh, to have uh, some testing. And they did some testing, did some colonoscopies on her daughter and her son. And uh, the daughter came back negative as far as anything there, but the son came back positive for cancer. So they removed several polyps and he's in his early 30s, mid, mid 30s at the latest. Um, and his name is Hunter Cruz. Um, right there was Cindy Cruz, who is my cousin. Uh, but this is Hunter Cruz, who is her son, and so he does have colon cancer. Uh, but right now, they think they think they've got it with the with the removing of the polyps there from that. But uh, there may be some treatments that may come uh, from that. So, just wanted to add those. Are there any others that we need to add to the prayer list, or any updates? If you are uh, online, be sure to comment there on Facebook, and if you comment. After we finish our prayer time, we'll try to look back at the end if I don't forget uh, to make sure there's no, uh, if there are any other prayer requests you mentioned. Anybody else? Any updates? Any additions? All right. I don't see any, and I don't see any on Facebook uh, either there. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer for all of these that we mentioned tonight as well as the rest that are on our prayer list and maybe in unspoken needs that you have on your hearts. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the awesome, powerful, mighty God that you are. Lord, when things seem to be in chaos around us, you are our steadfast, immovable rock that we can always rely on no matter what. And so we give you the glory for being uh, who you are uh, every day in our lives, for uh, being that firm foundation that we can cling to. I pray, God, that we would do that each and every day. Uh, Lord, I praise your name and thank you for being the holy God that you are. Uh, Lord, that there is uh, no sin in you. And Father, we uh, know that because you are holy, you have told us that we are to be holy. And yet, Lord, when we compare ourselves to others, we can sometimes make ourselves look good, but when we compare ourselves to you, Lord, we are nothing. We are worthless. Father, we pale in comparison to your holiness. It reveals to us our sinfulness. And so, Father, I pray tonight that as we come to you in prayer, that would be our first place that we meet with you, at the altar in our hearts. To come to the place of confession, and repentance uh, because Lord we don't want anything to hinder our relationship with you we don't want anything to hinder our prayers with you we indeed desire to pray effectual fervent prayers and yet your word says that if we hold on to sin in our hearts in our lives whether that's ungodly thoughts whether that's things that you have told us not to do and and maybe even in our thoughts we've thought those things maybe we've been so angry with someone uh, Lord, whatever the, whatever the issue might be, uh, Lord, I pray that you will bring it into the light of your truth, of your word. Reveal to us our sin that we might confess it, not just in general, but specifically. 
Father, to deal with those areas of our life where it may even seem like we continue to go back to in sin. And so, Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit to move in our hearts tonight to bring us, Lord, to repentance, to bring us, Lord, uh, to that place of your holiness and seeing ourselves for who we really are. So, Father, I pray tonight that as we come before you confessing whatever sin it may be, that you would hear our hearts cry. Father, I pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, not just because we're, we're short-term sorry for what we did or, or maybe we got caught in a sin you, and we've realized we did something wrong, uh, Father, but just because we love you and we want to grow in our relationship with you, we want to obey you, and we want to show and demonstrate that love towards you in every aspect of our life. So, Father, take and do whatever you need to do in our hearts to bring us into a more right relationship with you than we've ever been before. Father, I pray that we will pour our hearts out before you. Lord, I pray you'll hear and that you'll answer in a powerful, mighty way as you wash our sin uh, as white as snow, as you cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And Father, I pray tonight that everything will be open between us and you, that you would hear these requests. Father, we come before you uh, not only adoring you for who you are, confessing our sin also, but thanking you for the great and mighty things that you're doing. Lord, there are some who are on this prayer list that we have heard of some good reports and others, Lord, that we know who you've worked in their hearts and their lives. And we just want to thank you, God. Thank you for hearing our past prayers. Thank you for answering. Thank you for those, Lord, uh, who have come to join the church this last Sunday. Thank you for the one who was baptized uh, this past Sunday. And Lord, we pray that would not be uh, just the, the occasional thing that happens, that it, but that it would be more regular uh, than not. And Father, I pray that you will just continue to use us to share the gospel with people around us, to lead them to faith in Christ, and, and then also to disciple uh, those who are believers. And as you bring people to Tullahoma, Father, we pray that our church will be uh, one of those first places that they come across. And, and Lord, that they would hear the truth of your word, they would hear the gospel, and that they would be drawn to become a part of this fellowship. Father, I pray that uh, you will do your work in, in growing and building your church in the days ahead as we give it to you and ask for your will to be done. And, and Father, we also want to come and intercede on behalf of these people on our prayer list. Lord, you know there, that many of these are physical needs. And we know from your word that you are the great physician and that there is nothing that is uh, it, it happening in any one of these people's lives that is too big for you, even that word cancer. And so, Father, I pray that you will just divinely intervene in each one of these people's lives. We don't know what your purpose or your plan is through this or why you've allowed things to happen the way you have in their lives. But, Lord, many of these people are hurting. They're hurting physically. And so, Lord, we pray for your healing touch to be upon them. 
uh, to bring uh, a peace into their bodies, to bring soothing healing to the physical body there. And Father, to relieve whatever pains they may be going through. Father, we just pray that as that happens, may they begin to realize how, why that is happening, that it is because of your grace and it is because of your mercy uh, that they are going through that and that you are bringing about a healing in their lives. But Lord, we know that there are some of these individuals that may have to go through some valleys. Some, Lord, who there may not be much hope on this side, but there is hope on the other side of eternity. So, Father, I pray that in any of these situations that may be a person who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that you would use this as another instrument, another tool, another seed in their hearts to bring them to faith in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, Father, I just pray that you would use us to be an encouragement, a witness to them, uh, to show them and point them to your love, that even in death, Lord, we can glorify you. And so, Father, I pray that you'll embrace each one of these people uh, in your arms and let them know that you are with them. Father, I pray that you'll make yourself known to them in a powerful, powerful way. Father, I pray that your, your presence will be there to, to give them, Lord, that peace that passes all understanding as you begin to do your work in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, walk with them through some through the valley of the shadow of death, some through valleys that they just have to go through for a season, others, Lord, who uh, is, is just a very brief time. And so, Father, I pray that whatever needs are there, not only the physical, there's surely financial needs, there's uh, family needs, there's uh, other emotional needs, or whatever the other needs might be, we lift them all up to you, claiming the promise of your word that your grace is sufficient for all of our needs. So pour out your grace upon them, do your work within them, and Father, we expectantly look forward to give testimony and praise of your hand at work in each one of these people's lives. Father, I pray that you would be with us tonight as we come to study the book of Micah. Father, as we look back to the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard for us to see how does this relate to me as a New Testament believer. So Father, I pray that as we go through the book of Micah, may you help us to see the relevancy to where we are today, even as believers, especially for those who are lost, uh, but even as believers that we would understand and see your truth of your word. Lord, lest we repeat the same mistakes that the nations of Israel and Judah also made in their hearts and their lives. So make your word be alive, make it be powerful, use it to mold us, to shape us, to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen and amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, then, and turn to the book of Micah, Micah chapter 1. And verse 1 down through verse 16. We're going to be going through a chapter at a time through the book of Micah. And so hopefully you'll uh, get a blessing from this. Uh, so Micah, as we've said before with these other prophets we've been going through, is one of those minor prophets. Just a rehashing of that for those who may be new to the study as we're going through these uh, Old Testament books. Um, it, it, Micah is not a minor prophet in that his message is any lesser than any of the other prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel. Uh, his message uh, is just as important. They're only minor in that they're brief uh, in comparison to uh, those larger prophet books uh, like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, 
and, and all of those. Um, and so here is Micah. Micah is kind of a country boy, if you will, uh, from a small town. It's about 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. He knew God's people both in the north of the kingdom and in the southern kingdom. So if you'll remember, uh, as we have laid this out with each one of these minor prophet books, uh, you have the northern kingdom, uh, which is Israel, sometimes referred to as Ephraim. Uh, you have uh, sometimes referred to even as Samaria that we're going to see tonight uh, in chapter 1. And then you have Judah uh, that's in the southern kingdom. The capital of Judah is Jerusalem. That's where the temple uh, was to be built. Uh, the tabernacle uh, in the beginning there when they first came, uh, but now it's, it's uh, being built uh, as a temple. So here is Micah who he sees what's going on in both of those. He, he's probably maybe even been up to the northern kingdom and saw, uh, as Amos did, what was happening in the marketplaces and such. Micah was of a city called Morasheth. Uh, he, he was like the men of Issachar who came to take part in David's coronation, men who were described in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's what it, how it describes those uh, individuals in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32. So he knew what was taking place in the world around him and where it was leading. One of the things that we have to realize from this is that ideas have consequences. Ideologies are not just words on a page. They lead somewhere. And that's true for the individual. That's true for an organization. And that's true for a nation. So what we're going to discover is, is that Micah saw and understood all of this in the context of God's Word. There's only two points for the message tonight. The second one divides out just a tad. But this first one, the first point is about the declaration. The declaration, which is about the wrath that is coming. And so Micah is a little different than Amos, if you will. Uh, here's Micah who hears the train of God's judgment barreling down the track. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Now, you'll understand there, just a little brief there, part about Samaria and Jerusalem. Those are the capitals of both of the kingdoms. The northern kingdom, the capital is Samaria. The southern kingdom, the capital is Jerusalem. Uh, both are places of worship, but we're going to find out what kind of worship is happening at both of those uh, places. So that phrase, the word of the Lord that came is a very familiar phrase in the Minor Prophets. It occurs 242 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot of times to see that. So if you remember in, in, our, in learning how to study the Bible uh, classes, uh, lessons that we did, uh, and you may not remember because you've slept since then, but it was, it's been about a year and a half ago, maybe two years now. Um, one of the things is if something's repeated, that's an important phrase or an important word that you need to look at and pay more attention to. This is one of those that you need to pay attention to because it occurs 242 times in the Old Testament. In almost every occurrence of that phrase, 
It's used as a technical term for a prophetic revelation, a revelation from God. That's an important phrase, such an important phrase, such an important thought, the word of the Lord that came. You know, all too often we are captivated by what people say, especially people that we think are important or smart or gifted or talented or, or accomplished. We consult them, we quote them. It adds importance to what we're saying, uh, and it legitimizes what we're trying to communicate. We do that because we know that all words are not created equal. It, it not only matters what is said, but it matters who said it. There are things that, that George Washington said that you may have said, but because George Washington said it, it holds more weight uh, in, in that phrase. And so that's kind of the emphasis here. Micah receives three messages from the Lord to deliver to the people in hopes that they would abandon their idolatry and return to that sincere faith in the Lord that they begin with. And so the first message was a warning that divine judgment was coming on both Judah and Israel. Uh, Samaria is the term that's used there in verse uh, 1 and Jerusalem for Judah. So this message uh, we're going to find out as you look at the history of Israel was fulfilled in 722 B.C. Uh, when Assyria defeated Israel and in 605 to 586 when the Babylonians invaded the southern kingdom of Judah and destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took thousands of people captive into Babylon. When God's servant speaks, it pays to listen. Isn't that a part of the struggle, though, that we have in our culture today? Who do we listen to? What do we believe? There's a lot of voices that are speaking out there, and, and sometimes the loudest voices uh, are the squeaky wheel. They get, the, they get, all the, they get all everything uh, because they're, they're the ones who are the loudest. So every side uh, of issues in our world today seems to have an expert speaking expertly, uh, expertly about one thing uh, or another. And it wasn't any different in Micah's day. Everybody had their own thoughts. Everybody had their own opinions of what was going on and what was about to take place. One side had their prophets preaching one message, while there were other prophets like Micah and Isaiah and Hosea and Amos and Obadiah and all those we've been studying already who were preaching another message. The difference was that the words that Micah spoke were not his own. They were from the Lord. Now, over in the New Testament, Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 to 21. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to understanding life, only one word matters. And it's not the one that comes from man, but the one that comes from heaven. And so what matters isn't what the experts in our world may be saying, but it matters what does God say? What does his word have to say? And so Micah understands that this message that he's about to deliver to the people is from the Lord. Now that word came, the word that came, means it was or it happened. It points to the past. 
Uh, it, was a, it was the living experience which Micah had had of God who was impressing his word on him. This wasn't just something Micah heard somebody else say. It wasn't something that just happened to him. It was a message that affected him. It was a message that gripped him. And so God's word came to Micah. God's word came to his people. What that emphasizes to us and reminds us of is that God is aware of what is taking place. When you look at our world today and you turn on the news and you see all the things that are happening uh, around our nation, around our state, around the world, around uh, anywhere, uh, God knows all of that before uh, Fox or CNN or whoever broadcasts that news, breaking news. He knew it before it was breaking news. Uh, He knew what was going to happen beforehand. He knows what is taking place. Not only that, he cares about what is taking place. So as we look at what God says, we understand that God is working out his plan in that day. Now, the historical setting is given to us there in verse 1. Notice those kings. It's in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, I don't have mine with me tonight, but I hope you maybe kept yours, uh, the papers that we gave you before, of the kings of Israel and Judah. It would be well for you to look back uh, at those to see where does this kind of happen in the history uh, of Israel? Where does, where does this take place? Um, and so uh, this is taking place after Solomon. So you can kind of uh, look at most of First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings. Most all of that has happened already. Uh, you're in the time where the kingdom has been divided uh, and it's been divided for a while and they have not repented, and judgment is about to come. So those kings listed show us the time in which Micah lived and preached. Now Micah not only heard God's word according to the opening verse, but he also saw God's word. He also saw God's word, as we're going to find out as we go through this. And this goes back to what we said earlier. He saw how God's word applied to, uh, to, to his day. He understood the word of God. He understood the times in which he was living. He saw them in relation to one another. Someone once said, because we can locate Micah's message historically, it allows us to work out God's message for us because God doesn't change. His attitude toward our behavior and his remedy for our situation have always been the same. So when you're looking at the Old Testament in Micah, it's just as relevant for Israel in that day and just as relevant for us today. So God was working in that day and God is working in this day. So when we see that phrase, God's word came or that God appeared, it usually meant that things were about to change. Now often for the better, but that's not the case here. Things were about to change, but not for the better. The word of God that came to Micah was a stinging rebuke to both kingdoms, not just to the northern kingdom. If you remember with Amos' message, uh, Amos started with the Gentiles who were around and the people were like, whoo, preach it on, Amos, preach it on. They need God's judgment upon them. And then he finally keeps drawing the noose tighter and tighter and tighter till he comes down to them. And every prophet has done that uh, in this. Well, uh, let's look at verse 2 down through verse 5 and get into Micah's message here, his first message. He says, Hear you peoples, all of you, 
Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? So Micah tells us not only does God speak, but God rules. God rules over everything, not just his people, not just for today, the church. God rules over the whole world and the whole universe. And, and so uh, when, when we see that phrase, God came there, uh, things are changing here, and we, he's bringing a message to them to remind them, God is the one who is in authority, not you. You may have thought you were setting your plans, but God is the one who is ultimately in control. So while the message may be primarily to God's covenant people, it's not one that can be ignored by the rest of the world. So the, the emphasis being here that we know that Micah's preaching to Samaria and he's preaching to Judah. What does that mean for us? Well, look at his words again in the second verse. He says, hear you peoples, all of you. He says, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. So he's not just talking to just Israel. It's a message for us also. In other words, God is not a God that can be ignored. The rest of the world may say, well, that God and that Bible stuff is just for those who are crazy enough to believe it. It doesn't matter or apply to the rest of us. It's for them, not for me. The truth is, is that this God and this Bible stuff is for everybody, whether they want it to be or not. And so God speaks to his people in the word of God, but he speaks also to the nations of this world. In other words, God is not just some local, regional God. He's not restricted by national borders. He's not restricted by the walls of this church building. Uh, he, he, he isn't limited to some small piece of even the universe. He is the Lord of all. He is the Lord over all, uh, and, and he is sovereign, and he not only does what is right, he does what brings him glory. He acts in a way that is consistent with his character. He's always true to his word. So the message he's about to deliver through Micah to his people is going to be consistent with everything else that he's already said, and it's going to be consistent throughout the, the eons of time down to us even today. And so that leads us toward the problem that Micah is addressing, is that God is faithful to his word. He's faithful to his covenants. We know that some of his covenants were, were unilateral. Some of his covenants were universal, uh, dependent solely on God and, and, for, and forever. Other promises, other covenants were conditional. You remember there are some covenants uh, that, that were conditioned on the obedience of God's people. For instance, the one we use so often about revival. What does it say? If my people. So that's conditional. 
That's a conditional covenant. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then there's the condition. Then will I hear from heaven. Then will I bless their land. And, And so that's a conditional covenant. There are other covenants like that in the Bible that are conditional. Some aren't conditioned on anything uh, that, that his people uh, would do. God promised blessing for faithfulness. God promised judgment for unfaithfulness. And God never breaks his covenant. His faith, he's faithful to uphold what he's promised. And, and Israel and us, not so much. Uh, they, they had broken God's covenant. And God was calling them to account. The last part of verse 2 is set in the imagery of a legal proceeding of some kind. He says, And let, let the Lord be a witness. Where are witnesses? In a courtroom. So let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And so uh, we see that imagery there. Now when the prophet Amos was about to indict Israel and Judah... I said this a moment ago, he started by condemning the the, the Gentile nations around them. But Micah doesn't take that approach in his message. Without any formal introduction, he just moves right into the message and sounds the alarm that God lays on his heart. Uh, The the court is convened. And so the image in verse 2 through verse 5 is that of a court of law uh, with, with God as the judge and Judah and Samaria, or Jerusalem and Samaria, as the defendants. Micah addresses all the people of the earth because God is the Lord of the whole earth and all the nations are accountable to him. God is both judge, though, and witness from the holy temple where his law was kept in the ark. So that's why it references there the holy temple in the ark of the covenant. That's where the, that's where the covenant was. That's where the Ten Commandments were. And so it represents him representing the law. So a holy God has to act in righteousness and has to judge sin. In our day, to be found guilty, you should be found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Our justice system doesn't always operate that way, but it's supposed to. And, and so to be found guilty, there has to be evidence One form of evidence is that of eyewitnesses. In the Bible, which is where our justice system finds its origins, the presence of credible eyewitnesses is required for someone to be found guilty. In other words, you'll read throughout the Old Testament that the witness, you couldn't have just one witness. It had to be an accusation that was brought against somebody had to be with two or three or more witnesses. And you can understand that because we see that even today. It becomes a, a he said, he said, or a he said, she said, or a she said, she said. It becomes my word against your word. Whereas if you have other people who saw what happened, who heard what happened, that gives more credibility, more uh, evidence to uh, the accusation. And, and so uh, you have to have those eyewitnesses. So here we find ourselves in this legal proceeding A covenant has been broken, a witness is coming to the stand, and that witness is none other than the Lord God himself. Talk about a credible, reliable witness. This witness is unimpeachable and undisputable. You could cross-examine him all you wanted to, and, and, and you could never discredit him. You could never poke any holes in his story. 
the evidence he brings is incontrovertible. In, in fact, you'll see that sometimes, and we're going to see that in, in the book of Micah. Uh, in fact, when you look over uh, to Micah chapter 6, when he's talking about the issues with tithing, and, and, and they, try to, they try to come back, God says, you've robbed me. And they say, well, how? What, what? They try to come back with their own excuses uh, of why, why did, how did we rob you? We didn't know we robbed you. Uh, how did we rob you? Well, here is, here is God who has seen it all. The evidence he brings is incontrovertible. He has the perfect vantage point. He has perfect eyesight. He has perfect knowledge. Now, Micah said he's coming to be a witness against you. God is not only the witness, though, he's also the judge. In verse 3, we see that he is coming in judgment. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. That's a form of expression of, of judgment. Today, what happens when a judge enters the courtroom? The, the bailiff says, everybody rise, everybody stands uh, in the courtroom as a symbol of respect. Uh, we have for our judges and, and the law that he or she represents. But no judge has ever come into a courtroom in the manner described by Micah. The verb to come forth means to come forth for battle. God opens the court and declares war. It says there in that verse that he's coming down to tread upon the high places of the earth. And, and so uh, a judge in our day comes to court to see to it that justice is done and they aren't allowed to take sides but when God comes to judge the nations he has all the evidence necessary and it's incontrovertible and do he doesn't have to call any witnesses God is angry at his people because of their sin and that's why he's coming his coming makes the earth split and the mountains melt so that the rock flows like melted wax or a waterfall his judgment is irresistible and awesome. Look at verse 4 again. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. God does not tolerate rivals. So when we read this description here, that can mean one of several things or all of them together, probably all of them together. The mountains literally themselves is what it could be referencing here. The high places of all the earth. It could also mean their major cities and their defenses that they built on what they called high places. If you look at Jerusalem, it's built upon a high place. Uh, representative of, of their might, of their power, of their rule. But it could also mean the places of worship, usually built on hills, that they also called high places. Places of pagan idolatry. So if, if you subject wax to heat, who wins? He does. He's also saying that it's going to come down like a flood that can't be stopped. God's judgment is coming because Jacob had rebelled and Israel had sinned. The northern and the southern kingdoms were both guilty. And judgment is coming. That's why verse 5 says, all this, all of what's happening that he just described, is for the transgression, for the sin of Jacob, and for the sins of the house of Israel. Talking about the north and the south. 
What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? So what is he saying there? Why is judgment coming? Is it not Samaria? Is it not Jerusalem? What does that mean? Both of those places were not only political centers, they were religious centers. They were places of worship. So both Judah and Israel were guilty of idolatry, which is really rebellion against the Lord. When the nation was divided after Solomon's death and the northern kingdom established its own religious system in competition with the Mosaic worship in the temple at Jerusalem. And so they began to worship in their own places. You remember that? The northern kingdom, they didn't go back to Jerusalem to worship where they were supposed to be worshiping at the temple. But the people of Judah... They weren't any less guilty. They had secretly begun to worship the false gods of Canaan. And their hearts weren't true to God either. Even when they stood in the temple courts and they offered their sacrifices, they weren't being faithful to God. To God, the temple had become like one of the high places in the hills around Jerusalem where the Jews secretly worshipped idols and offered their sacrifices. But understand this, God is so big that when he comes down, and he steps on the great high places, the highest mountains, places uh, uh, that you aspire to reach to, to ascend. God isn't subject to the rule of man, but the rule of man is subject to him. Those places cannot stand against his power and before his might. Those places designated to be God's substitutes, he's saying, they will be torn down because God does not tolerate Rivals. He is a jealous God and desires us to worship him and him alone. And so the second part of Micah's first message here is lamentation. Uh, you hope you know what the word lamentation means. It means weeping or, or crying. It's because the cities will be ruined. You pick up this in verse 6 down through verse 16. Micah responds to God's message by acting like a grieving man at a funeral when you read in verse 8 he says for this I will lament and I will well I'll go stripped and and naked so it, that's the 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 things that would happen at a funeral uh, he was genuinely burdened so Micah's doing this he was generally burdened because of what would happen to his people if they didn't listen to God's word and turn from their sin and so when we hear God's word how are we to respond we get a glimpse of how Micah felt, knowing God's judgment was coming in in verse 8 to verse 9. He lamented, he wept, he mourned, he was broken. And even though he longed for God's righteousness to be revealed, he took no joy in the judgment that was coming. He even warns the enemies, don't celebrate the fall of God's people. We're going to see that when he says, tell it not in Gath. It's a reference to David's actions after Saul and Jonathan were killed. He rescued the bodies from the Philistines and, and told them not to boast or celebrate in this. So the first place he says it's going to be ruined is Samaria. Samaria will be ruined. So look at verse 6. Therefore, he says, because of what you've done, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, <clears throat> a place for planting vineyards. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover 
her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them. And to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. So the capital of the northern kingdom, Samaria, was situated on a hill, overlooked a fertile valley. The prophet Isaiah called that city the crown of pride or, or with, with glorious beauty in Isaiah 28 and verse 1. And he predicted, Isaiah did, that God's judgment would destroy the city. The Assyrians would turn the beautiful city into a heap of rubble, and her idols wouldn't be able to protect the city from its enemies. God did destroy that city and the nation of Samaria. Why? Because the people rebelled against his word, and he destroyed the Samaritan temple because it housed a false, false religion that was nothing but religious prostitution. And God destroyed the temple in Jerusalem because the leaders had turned the true religion into a false worship of Jehovah and the gods uh, of the nations. We've said this already. Our God is a jealous God who does not and will not share his, uh, our worship and his glory with another. And so the covenant God made with his people at Mount Sinai, it was like a marriage covenant. And, and they were breaking that covenant because they were, it was like they were committing adultery, spiritual adultery, even engaging in physical prostitution, but also spiritual prostitution. And so the destruction of the city of Samaria began in 722 under a man by the name of Sargon II, who was the ruler of Assyria, who ordered many of the citizens to be taken captive or killed. And then he imported people into the land from various nations that he had conquered. And so as the Jews and the Gentiles began to intermarry, the result was a mixed race that the Jews despised. Even to the days of Jesus, the Jews had no dealings with who? The Samaritans. This is where the judgment began and led to all of that. So Samaria will be ruined. But then we also see that Judah will be ruined. Look at verse 9 in the second part. So notice what he said in the first part again. For her wound is incurable. He's talking about Samaria, the northern kingdom. And it has come to Judah, down to the south. And it has reached the, to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In, in Beth Ephra, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shafir in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanan uh, do come out. The lamentation of Beth Azel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Meroth wait anxiously for good because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin uh, of the daughters of Zion for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. So he's saying about Judah, the southern kingdom, we found the same thing, I found the same thing in you. Therefore, you shall give parting gifts to Moresheth Gath. The houses of Akzib uh, shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Agilom. 
Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle for they shall go from you into exile. So the problem with Samaria was that she was toxic. Her infection spread to Judah. And Micah wept over the land the way you reap over an incurable patient in a hospital. Isaiah used that similar image to describe the, the plight there of Judah in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 6. And Jeremiah, you remember Jeremiah wrote a whole book called Lamentations of Weeping uh, because the spiritual leaders in his day didn't deal drastically with the sin sickness of the people. And so Micah here, he's describing the, the ruin of the southern part of Judah uh, by, by the invading Assyrians in 701. You see it in 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 7. They swept through the land. They took 46 cities, but they couldn't take Jerusalem because God protected it. So the Assyrians tried to come, but God was protecting it. Then Micah uses a series of, of puns. Now, we don't get this when we read our English Bible, uh, but when you go back to the Hebrew uh, and you look at the words in comparison to each other, uh, they, they're the cities... Uh, here are similar in sound to familiar Hebrew words. For example, gath is similar to the Hebrew word for tell. And so he wrote, tell it not in gath. Beth leafra or Beth ofra uh, means house of dust. So what does he say to do with, with Beth ofra? He says, roll into dust. The people of Shafir meant pleasant, beautiful. But they weren't going to look either beautiful or pleasant as they were herded off as naked prisoners uh, of war. The role of the cities goes on. The cities of Zainan, which means come out, would not be able to come out because of the danger. Beth Ezel means house of taking away, and the city would be taken away. Meroth is related to Mara or, or uh, Myrrh, which means bitterness, and the city would experience bitter disaster. Now, Lachish sounds like the Hebrew word that means a team of swift horses. And so he warns them there to harness their horses to the chariots. And you just try to escape and see what happens. You're not getting anywhere. There's nowhere you're going to go to get away from God's judgment. And then Micah comes to his own city, Moresheth Gath, which sounds like a Hebrew word meaning betrothed. And brides were given farewell gifts. In other words, the town, his hometown, would no longer belong to Judah, but would leave home and then belong to the invaders. Akzib means deception, and that's exactly what would happen to them. Marishah sounds like the word for conqueror, and the town would be conquered by enemies. So he makes this play on the names of the cities and Hebrew words to say this is what your name says, but here's what's going to happen to you. And so the tragedy of this invasion is that it didn't have to happen. If the people of Israel and the people of Judah had just turned to the Lord in repentance and faith, he would have given them the victory. Instead, they believed the false prophets. They held fast to their idols and sinned their way into defeat. It's sad to say that even the little children suffered and went into exile, all because of the sins of the parents. One day, everyone will see the lies that they have believed. One day, everyone will see the false gods that they have laid themselves down before and know that God's judgment 
is just, that they're getting what they deserve. God's judgment is going to come, for us even, in the form of a national calamity at the hands for them. It was at the hands of foreign enemies, the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians. And those tragedies to us today in the Old Testament, whether it's uh, being o- overthrowing a, a nation, whether it's war or regime change or natural disasters or many other things, all of those are God's preview of what sin deserves. And one day will receive in judgment a thousand times worse. All of what we see going on around us is a warning. There's a wake-up call to see the, the horror and the spiritual ugliness of sin against God. And we need to be very careful and aware of the danger of sin and the rebellion against God. Verse 9 said that Samaria's wound is incurable. Not only incurable, if unchecked, it metastasizes. It spreads. So you may think that your sin just affects you and it's not hurting anybody else. But sin is like a cancer that metastasizes and spreads. For the nation of Israel and Judah, it had come to Judah. It may be saying that judgment has spread, but judgment spreads because sin and rebellion spreads. And it needs people like Micah to stand in the gap, to shout out against it, to declare the truth of God's judgment. God is pointing an accusing finger at his own people, Israel and Judah, as represented by their capital cities, Samaria and Jerusalem. If God did that to his chosen people, how much more us? And after seeing what Assyria did to Israel in 722, the leaders of Judah, the light bulb should have come on. We don't want to have happen to us what happened to Israel. The leaders of Judah should have repented and turned to the Lord. But they didn't. In fact, during the reign of Hezekiah, the Assyrians plundered Judah and would have taken Jerusalem, as we shared a while ago, if the Lord hadn't miraculously intervened. None of us escape God's judgment. The key for us is that Jesus has already suffered the punishment for our sin. We have to receive that free gift of his salvation. And once we've received that free gift that he took upon himself the punishment for our sin, then we need to be declaring to the world around us the good news of the gospel, lest they also perish in eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. What a message from the book of Micah. Lord, that judgment is coming. The people of of Israel thought, I've got plenty of time. There's nothing going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen today. And yet the judgment came. And then the people in the southern kingdom should have seen it, should have been alerted, should have woken up and responded in repentance. Father, I pray that even as we look around us and we see things happening all around this world that are a precursor to show us that the ultimate final judgment is coming. Lord, that we would prepare our hearts to make ourselves ready for that great and terrible day of the Lord. And until then, may we be faithful in our walk with you. May we be faithful in our talk for you, in sharing the good news of the gospel with others. And may we be faithful in living out the truth 
of your word in the days ahead. May we learn the lessons from the book of Micah. Lord, bless us in the days ahead and help us to walk one step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time, closer with you than the day before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us online there. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday morning at 1030 online, but we do encourage you to come join us in person if you can. Uh, 945, uh, 915 for Sunday school, not 945, 915 for Sunday school, and then 1030 for worship. Uh, come and join us for those. You'll receive a wonderful blessing in person, but if you can't, uh, we encourage you to join us there online. We look forward to seeing you then. You have a safe and blessed week, and we'll see you this coming Sunday. Thank you.